My friends, welcome to yet another episode of Crypto Q&A, a follow-up to Crypto Over Coffee every week where I answer your questions from Twitter, YouTube comments, and the podcast Dropbox. If you want one of your questions answered, please do leave them in the YouTube comments, tweet me at Hoshoshi4, or answer on the Spotify podcast platform, and you will have a chance to be featured in next week's Q&A show. Got a bunch of questions to get to today, so let's kick it off right away. The first one is from Tom Spry on Twitter. What would you tell your entry-level crypto investing self to better weather the markets and innovations? So um, when I started in this space, there was pretty much nothing except for Bitcoin. Um, And then as the broader crypto markets started to evolve, of course, everything really started with with ethereum of course litecoin existed at that time as well but it was really a sparse area there wasn't a lot going on and so it was actually a lot easier to deal with i remember vividly when things changed in 2017 it was very tough for me to keep up with everything that was going on in the space i created this channel in many ways because it was a way for me to keep myself engaged in the space to keep myself reading up and and um staying engaged in the communities because that's how you keep up with everything that's going on. And it's just gotten harder and harder and harder to do. So if I were starting from scratch right now in 2022, what I would advise is that now you can't afford to be a generalist in this space. You can't afford to say, I like crypto and I like all facets of crypto. I like DeFi, I like NFTs, I like L1s, L2s, I like Uh, decentralized identity. I like everything because ultimately you will spend so much time and effort trying to keep an eye on everything that's going on. You won't build depth in any area. Uh, It it takes years to build depth. And now, frankly, you'll miss opportunities if you try and do that. Um, I am kind of not taking my own advice necessarily because it is very difficult for me to keep up with everything. Um, And I still try to, but I'm not that great at keeping up with everything because it's really hard to do. So I need to take my own advice. The truth is that if you're starting from scratch, there are three things that you really need to do. The first thing you need to do is you need to have a clear picture of what money that you are willing and able to risk in this space because there is a ton of risk, especially as you enter into this space in a bear market, you enter into this space at a very uncertain time. Your focus should be right before you do anything, before you research anything or do anything, you should know exactly how much risk you're willing to take and what funds you're willing to risk because then you'll make better decisions when you start to look for opportunities to invest. From there, you should be spending at least an hour every single day researching first the fundamentals of the space. So how does Ethereum, how does Bitcoin work? Where did these things come from? What technologies go into it? Why are these things valued by people? Start to notice those trends and patterns. Understand the fundamentals. And then you should also be spending time picking a niche. It might be gaming. That might be NFTs. It might be DeFi. It might be um, layer ones. There are people who specialize in all areas of crypto. And you can also do the same. So ultimately, you learn the basics. You find a special, like specialty field that you're really interested in and just go really deep into that. Spend your time researching every single day, looking for large projects and understanding those, but also some of the smaller cap uh, sort of um, low-key projects, new projects that are coming out. And you will start to see that your level of knowledge is growing and growing and growing and growing so quickly, you will be shocked. And when you're ready to take it to the next level, 
what you really need to do is you need to spend time in the conversation. So not just passively reading and listening, but to be actively contributing to the conversation. Start a YouTube channel, start a podcast, do Twitter spaces, join Discord communities, create your own Discord community, create your own Telegram group, whatever you can do to start creating content as well, to creating community and communicating to others about this space, that's gonna level up your knowledge even more. Because if you can explain something, you understand it way better than someone who's just like, oh yeah, I kinda get that, or I read about that. If you can explain something to someone else, you have a really firm grasp. That would be my recommendation. Thank you very much for your question, and I wish anyone who's entering into the space best of luck. Next question is from Whole Titan. Do you think Bitcoin will convince environmentalists that there is momentum to using renewable and excess energy to run the chain now that there are the, they are the last top 10 proof-of-work blockchain? The answer is resoundingly yes. The ultimate truth is the world has the capacity to use sustainable, renewable energy already. The technology already exists. The technology is already proven in many cases. And I'm not talking about wind turbines. I'm talking about things like solar, geothermal, all sorts of other mechanisms for energy. And to be honest with you, nuclear should also be considered in that topic as well. These renewable energy sources are available and should be used. They should be invested in. If we're gonna be printing trillions of dollars around the world, that money should not go to bailout corporations. It should go towards the betterment of society. And in that case, renewable energy would be a great use of that money if we have no choice and it's gonna be printed, right? I'm not advocating for money printing, okay? Do not yell at me. My main point here is this, Bitcoin is often criticized because of proof of work and because of its high consumption. And I've talked about this for years already. Consumption does not equate to emissions. So people who say, oh, you know, Bitcoin uses as much energy as this small Scandinavian country, it's really bad, okay? The usage of energy does not directly equate to carbon emissions. So the reality is right now, the focal point is there's not a lot of energy going to go around because of what's going on abroad in Eastern Europe. There's supply constraints right now. And so a lot of people are saying, well, if Bitcoin's hogging up all the energy, there's not enough for everybody else. That I understand. I completely understand that. But from the perspective of environmentalists, people who care purely from the perspective of the health of the environment, carbon emissions and climate change and all of that, there are sustainable sources of energy. And in fact, I talked about it in last week's Crypto Over Coffee. There are people who think that you can use excess energy and um, methane, captured methane, to mine Bitcoin, which actually helps as a net positive for, uh, for sustainability and for climate change. So the reality is there is room to do that. It's going to be a matter of communication. It's going to be a matter of creating the data. So miners are going to have to start creating reports and, and keeping metrics and being able to report that out to both the community as well as to governments so that they can see what's going on because there is now attention on it. So now is going to be the time for miners to prioritize sustainable energy, but not only that, to document and to produce metrics and reports around that so we can get a clear picture of the problem and the solution. That's really going to be the key. Uh, last thing I will say on this is that a very interesting thought experiment is what happens when, and we will get there, but when sustainable energy dominates, when we have sustainable energy for everyone, where the unit cost of energy drops way down, what happens to the economic 
elements of proof of work in Bitcoin. Because miners' costs go way, 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 way down. Then what happens? If cost of production goes way down for Bitcoin, competition does not rise, meaning everyday per people like you and I don't go and set up mining rigs because it costs less to do now. Then what happens? And that's a really interesting thing to talk about. If energy doesn't cost a lot, if it doesn't cost a lot to produce uh, the block subsidy on a recurring basis when you mine new Bitcoin blocks, what happens to the price of Bitcoin? That's a thought experiment for you. Let me know what you think. Next question is from Vanessa Harris. How long do you think zombie blockchains can survive? EOS, Ethereum Classic, and others still have a 1 billion plus market cap. Okay, um, this is interesting. And I'm just going to tease Vanessa on this one because I saw it on Twitter and I, I think it's funny. Um, people are teasing uh, Vanessa, people tease other people's like, oh, your chain's a zombie chain. Okay. Luna classic would be something I classify as a zombie chain. Yes. There are people building things on it, so it could survive. But a lot of these chains, EOS, Ethereum classic, um, Luna, so Terra, Terra classic, whatever, Terra classic. These are all chains that are sustained by people who are heavily invested in that ecosystem. In EOS, there are a lot of big holders. There are a lot of community members who will not let go of the idea of EOS. And they're still sort of building, there's still some ecosystem around it, there's still people adopting it in various ways, but it just, it's kind of stuck in limbo, if you will. And it's a lot, just driven by a lot of speculation. You've seen some run-ups for EOS recently, same with Ethereum Classic. The idea was Ethereum Classic's hanging on by a thread, oh, we can fix it, we're gonna shift. So Charles Hoskinson was involved in changing the whole structure and format of Ethereum Classic. That never passed, that never happened. Then there was the narrative around the Ethereum merge displacing miners, meaning Ethereum Classic's gonna see a huge bump in hash rate and then it's gonna be relevant. The price is gonna go up, all this stuff. That kind of never materialized either. So what I would say is zombie chains can survive almost indefinitely if there are enough people that will just leave their money parked in those chains indefinitely believing that things will come back. Zombie chains will survive until there's a reckoning that means they cannot survive. And I know people are gonna say, well, I can't imagine that any reckoning could be worse than the Terra Luna reckoning. Unfortunately, it can. If we get to the point where things implode even further during this bear market, people want out completely. You could see very well people who have parked their money in something like Ethereum Classic or EOS or whatever, where you have these large market caps still in the billions, you could see money rolling out of those big time. Also, if Bitcoin and Ether, some of the blue chips start dropping more into the 10K range for Bitcoin, into the, uh, the triple digits, the three digits for Ether, you could see people moving out of these coins and into those as a safe place long term. So I know this is not a perfect answer because I can't predict the future, but what I would say is zombie chains survive because of culture, because of community, and because of a reluctance for someone to give up on something that they believe vehemently in. It's human nature. Uh, and you saw it during the dot-com bubble and burst. Same thing could happen here. Thanks for your question. Huge thunderstorm outside, by the way. So if it's getting dark, sorry. Uh, next question is from JXL3000 ETH. If you have 3000 ETH, nice. Uh, why can't Bitcoin and Ethereum people get along? There's room for both, right? If you watched Crypto Over Coffee this week, whole segment about that, okay? I'll kind of paraphrase that here. 
not only is there enough room for Bitcoin and Ether, 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 Ether people to coexist, it is critical that they coexist. It is critical that they coexist because we need to prove that it is not, that homogeneity is not the answer. Why do I say that? Ethereum moved to proof of stake, which is now undoubtedly, undeniably the de facto standard for decentralized application oriented chains. So blockchains with programmability built into them, things where you build DeFi, where you build NFTs, where you build, basically I would call it the, the programmability and the operationalization of capital in crypto. Okay. For Bitcoin, it is the sole remaining top 10 cryptocurrency that uses proof of work. There are others that are pretty notable. Uh, Ergo, I've talked about before. They're nice, okay? I'm not disparaging those. Bitcoin is a very different beast than Ethereum, than Algorand, than Cardano, than uh, Elrond, than Cosmos. All of these chains are very different than Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a store of value. It is a huge pillar in the sort of, it's the capital fulcrum for a lot of the growth of crypto. As Bitcoin grows, as does other things. So as wealth grows in Bitcoin, it sort of expands out into other areas. You can almost think of Bitcoin as the effective um, central bank. People are gonna be really pissed off that I use this, but it's effectively the central bank that's not owned by some singular state for the crypto space. And I think it needs to remain that way. The big part of that is that proof of work is critical to the idea of cost of production, cost of issuance, the security of that network, the ability to maintain a store of value like Bitcoin is. Now, what we're gonna see in this whole bear market, recession, economic collapse, whatever you wanna call it, is we're gonna see either the complete failure of this narrative that Bitcoin is a store of value and hedge against inflation, or it's going to be the defining moment where it becomes that over time. Hard to say whether we're going to see that in the short term or the long term. We will have to just wait and see. But what this means is that as Bitcoin finds its place in that area, Ethereum and all these other blockchains that are um, basically serving as the, the application of all of the funds that land in Bitcoin and expand outwards, they're going to also be, they're going to have a vested interest in Bitcoin's success because Bitcoin serves that central function in the crypto markets. Ether is also, in my opinion, not designed as a cryptocurrency to serve the same function as Bitcoin. If it were, it would run counter to the idea of Ethereum, which is uh, the, the, the programmable platform on which you can build n number of applications that are decentralized in nature that allow you to create decentralized finance, NFTs, all sorts of things. All of this long-winded answer to say, Bitcoin and Ethereum need to coexist. They need each other. And the communities are not working anymore to find common ground. And that's their problem, not the protocol's problem. These two protocols coexist and they should coexist. The two communities coexist and should coexist. It's really up to everyone in this space to enforce that, to hold each other accountable, but to realize that we are all on the same side. Okay, that's my thought. Very long-winded, that's my thought. Uh, the next one is from Timu Lens. What do you think of the prospects of DeFi built on Bitcoin? So there are folks who do this now. 
Um, I'm trying to think of who it is. Is it Sovereign? Mm, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I can't recall. But anyways, there are some groups that are making um, platforms or abstractions to build DeFi applications on top of Bitcoin. But like I was just saying in the last piece, I think that um, Bitcoin is going to serve as the reserve or the store of value for DeFi in other places, meaning it's going to be wrapped. It's going to be trustlessly transferred to different ecosystems through formal cross-chain bridges that are true trustless bridges that use um, state proofs, rollups, different zero-knowledge technologies to provably move funds from one blockchain to another, even without a dedicated shared rail. Now, what I would say is DeFi on Bitcoin is unlikely to be necessary. Why? Bitcoin can rely on other networks that are designed for programmability. Bitcoin does not need to do it all, just like Ethereum doesn't need to do it all, or Algorand doesn't need to do it all. These networks should specialize and rely on each other to do different things, do what they're the best at, do what they're designed to do, and in the multi-chain future, you will have different security guarantees, different design characteristics, etc., cetera, uh, that are uh, symbiotically utilized by each other. So DeFi on Bitcoin, don't really think it's necessary don't really think the primitives are there to make it happen either in a way that is scalable outside of a layer two, which I think at that point, if you're already going to delegate trust to another layer, or not delegate trust, but if you're already going to delegate to another layer, why not use one that's designed for this from scratch that already exists? So Bitcoin script can be used for what people would call smart contracts, not really what it's designed for. So I don't think you can build it on chain as Bitcoin's designed today, but um, projects like Thorchain, for example, are really creating this DeFi leveraging Bitcoin as an asset. And I think that's where the future lies. And actually, my friends, that was the last question of the day. So again, I want to remind you, if you have a question that you would like answered in next week's show, please leave it in the YouTube comments, tweet me at Hoshoshi4, or otherwise send it my way via DM, whatever you'd like to do. I want to thank you so much for watching this episode of Crypto Q&A or listening to this episode of Crypto Q&A. And until next time, cheers.